I'm going to be reading from James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Welcome. Welcome to Grace. James chapter 3. The average person, not the most talkative one, not the most super shy one, will spend one-fifth of their life talking. If all of our words in a given day were put into print, that would be a 50-page book. So the average person would fill about 91 books of 200 pages each in one year's time. Now, you say, Pastor, that's not really me. I wouldn't fill a book up in a decade, you know. Others of you would fill up a library or several libraries with your words. <laughs> the point is, we are constantly talking. We talk to ourselves. We talk to others. We're texting. We're tweeting. We're messaging. We're writing. We're doing emails. We were created by God to communicate by words. So we're talking to ourselves a lot. The most common co conversation is you to you. You talk within yourself. And then we talk to other people, external communications, and we talk to God. That's called our prayers, right? We're constantly thinking. We're constantly sharing what we think. And we have lots of opportunity to bless people with our words. So I want to make the big point out of the box in case I lose you along the way. But here we go. <laughs> the big point I want to say this morning is I want you to pay attention, to pay attention to what you say, because what you say will tell you what's in your heart. And if you pay attention to what other people say, you'll hear what's in their heart. And if you pay attention to what God says, you'll understand God's heart. But James is speaking to us from a pastoral standpoint about if we pay attention to what we're saying, we discover what is in our heart. 
Our culture is very noisy. If you go out to have lunch somewhere, you'll discover that there's a lot of background noise, right? It's not uncommon for me to say something like, can you turn it down? We're trying to talk to one another. It's very hard to find places that are quiet because there's so much noise, right? There's political talk, and there's sports talk, and there's business talk. The election year <laughs> has become theater for 24-hour news cycles, right? There's the speech, you know, the debate, and then there's sort of the question given by the reporter and the answer given by the politician. It really has nothing to do with the question asked by the reporter. And then there's the attack of the other candidates, and then there's the defense of the candidate, and then what the press writes about it, there's contention and strife and bravado and positioning everywhere you look on the campaign trail. It degenerates into name-calling, belittling, discrediting, and often character assassination. I find this election and the candidates very disturbing to me in this regard of speech. The very first words ever spoken were not spoken by a human being. They were spoken by God. God called us into being. So the highest use of language is to use our language for God's purposes. If you read through the book of Proverbs, <clears throat> you will find that Proverbs are a treatise on talk. Basically wisdom, but how to be wise in how you talk. A summary of the book of Proverbs would say that words give life and words bring death. So a proverb I'd like to start with this morning is Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 21, which is on the screen, that death and life, the tongue has the power of life and death. What does that mean? You have never spoken in your entire life a neutral word. Your words have a direction to them. Your words are either moving in a lifeward direction. Your words bring encouragement. You know, it's going to be okay. Your words bring hope. God's going to work this out. Your words bring love. You see the need of somebody else, and you say what's in their best interest. Your, your words bring peace, or your words bring unity or your words bring instruction, or your words bring correction, or your words bring wisdom. Those are life-giving words we give to others. Or your words are moving in the direction of death, destruction. There's words we speak of anger and malice and slander and gossip and division and contempt and racism, violence, condemnation. We are in an epidemic in America of teenagers and young adults who are incessantly and constantly being bullied. Somebody is tearing them down and mocking them. Hundreds and hundreds, if you're up on this, of teenagers and college students have ended their lives not because of deep depression or chemical imbalance, but just because someone was berating them, belittling them, often online. 
Words have the power of life and death. You have the power with your words to give a life-giving word. You also have the power to tear down. You have the power to give courage to somebody to fight their battle with, right? You can be an encourager. I've seen people 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, talk about the most terrible things their mom and dad have said to them growing up. When they tell me their stories, it's as if they're telling it to me, it happened yesterday, and it happened 20 or 30 years ago. The words have sunken into the person's heart and attached, right? When I think about the power of words, I think about Pryor's Apple Orchard. There was a person there behind the counter. And so Debbie and I would go up to get apples on Monday. And the person was always dour. You know, it kind of did their work well, but just never in a good mood. But one day, the person behind the counter was happy. So I said to her, I said, you're happy. She said, yes, I am. I said, why are you happy? She said, I got a letter from the president. It was George Bush. I said, um, the president, the president, the president wrote you? And she said, yes, the president wrote me a letter. And she pulled out from her counter this letter from the president saying that I had some of your peaches. They're the best peaches I ever had. Thank you so very much. And I thought about the power of word to encourage somebody's soul. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs not only says that Words have the power of life and death, but they have the power to wound or to heal. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose words are rash, they pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Wounds can he- wound- words can wound us, but words can also heal us. The words of God bring healing to our souls, you see. People will say stuff to us that will stick. Unfortunately, our families get to us first, and they say stuff in our lives that builds either a healthy self-image or of poor self-esteem. We send our kids out into this world with poems like this, sticks and stones will break, well, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, really. Words will never hurt you. Words will never hurt you. There's a more modern version of it. It goes like this. I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. I know a woman whose soul was bruised when she was just 10 years old. She was in the third grade. One of her classmates had some learning disabilities. So the teacher said to her before the class, I'd like for you to sit beside this student and help her with her lessons, which she gladly did, and she enjoyed the student. She enjoyed helping them very much. But after lunch, she said, I have to make a change. And so she moved the student away from her, but she never explained why. When somebody else was talking about being devalued, she began to weep because the memory became flooding back into her soul of being devalued as a little girl. Words have enormous power. Those of you who occupy coaching positions, 
Let me say to you, communicate to your players. Talk to your players before the game. Encourage them through the game. Talk to them after the game. Because everybody on your team matters. They want to know what they do well. And they want to know how they contribute. And they want to know how they can improve their game. Your words have tremendous, tremendous power. James chapter 3. James talking about the tongue, the longest scripture that we have on the tongue and the power of words. This is what he says. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because we know those who teach, those of us who teach, will be judged more strictly. The person who teaches should be someone who is called of God, someone who is gifted, and someone who is prepared, because the standard is very high that God is setting. There's high expectations God has upon a teacher to speak his very words. You see, a teacher not only brings a word of truth, but also brings a word of relevancy to the people listening. There's a timeless truth and a relevant word the teacher is bringing to um, the listener. If, an heir, if a teacher has it right, they're able to build up their students. If a teacher has it wrong, they err, they tear down their students. But then James says in verse 2 that we all stumble in many ways. James himself had stumbled with his words. Remember last week I was talking about James and his journey. There was a time when James did not believe. He was a skeptic. James and his brothers, his mother, didn't believe Jesus truly was the Messiah. And they came to fetch him, right, to take him home, saying, Jesus, you've been out in the sun too long. Jesus, you know, you've not been taking your medicines. Jesus, we need to bring you back home. James didn't believe. He stumbled over his words. How do I stumble? I'm asking the question. Let me count the ways. For me, at the end of the day, often there's really very little left of me. It's easy to be short, right? I can blame it on low blood sugar or you're not having my daily cookie. We make assumptions, right? Most of us here in this room like order. And so when we see a coffee mug sitting somewhere left by somebody, we can ask the question, why didn't they pick up their coffee mug? We make the assumption this person is just trying to annoy me. They know this bothers me. So what they're doing is leaving a coffee mug out so I'll get bothered and annoyed by the coffee mug. Instead of simply picking up the mug and carrying the mug and saying, I love you and praying for the person. We stumble making assumptions about people, right? Not believing the best about them. Your whole life will change when you begin to believe the best about somebody and not believing the worst about them. We make assumptions about people. We say, all men are oblivious. <laughs> we say, all women are bossy. <laughs> we say, all immigrants are illegal. 
We say all Muslims are ISIS. We say all politicians are narcissistic. We stumble. We stumble in many ways with our speech, you see, because we make wrongful assumptions. Assumptions are always the lowest form of knowledge. The reason why we stumble is we don't know everything. (laughs) I heard of a couple, this elderly woman, she was with this young woman, and she had her baby in a stroller, and she asked about the age, and she said, oh, she's six months old. And she held the baby and, you know, rocked the baby and spoke to the baby. And so they had the best time together, this elderly woman and this young mother and her baby. And to bless her, the older woman said, you know, it looks as if you've lost most of your birth weight. And she said, I adopted my child. We stumble in so many ways with our speech. James is trying to be a realistic person here as a pastor, saying there's power in the tongue, but we stumble in so many ways. If we could ever bring our tongue into subjection, right, bridle the tongue, we would become mature, able to keep our whole body in check, you see. It's a sign of maturity. You're growing up in Christ when you're able to bridle your tongue, to say the right thing at the right time. I know a person is supposed to have a tough skin and a tender heart. And a friend of mine, when he was growing up, he was called a spaz. Actually, he was only called a spaz once. He was about 10 years old. He had moved into a new neighborhood, you know, a new school, walking around with some guys, trying to, you know, connect with some guys, some four or five guys playing some sport, and the ringleader of the guys said, why are you such a spaz? My friend's soul wasn't crushed, per se. He didn't go into depression, but there was a wound inflicted upon him. He didn't ever want to be called a spaz, but the ringleader called him a spaz, and then he always thought, well, they call me a spaz again. Well, my friend had a son, and his son was about five years old. And uh, his son would get excited about stuff, and his voice would go up, and he couldn't even get the words out. And my friend would say, hey, look at me. Calm down. Why are you freaking out? Why don't you just sit still? Why are you such a spaz? My friend was getting dressed, and his son would follow him around the house, you know, this constant stream of consciousness, you know, talking. He didn't want anybody else calling him a spaz, so he thought the solution to it was that he would call his son a spaz. That's a good strategy. I don't want anybody else calling him a spaz, so I'll call him a spaz so he doesn't become a spaz. Right. Words are very powerful. Words can wound in ways we can't even become aware of, right? And I would suggest that most of us have been wounded by words, but we also can be healed. I never felt as if, it's my story now, I never felt as if my words mattered very much. I felt as if I existed, but 
I really didn't have a voice. I would say stuff and people wouldn't listen. I'd say stuff in school and the teachers would listen, but at home they really didn't listen. So I had a dream. And in my dream, I was in the car with my dad. And my dad was drunk. And we were driving down this two-lane road and my dad was in the wrong lane. And I warned him, I said, Dad, you've got to get out of the lane. And he didn't listen. Three times I warned him and then the dream was over. You see, what I had been saying was not being listened to. And I believe what God was doing for me was he was saying, your voice really does matter. God wants to heal the inside part of us that is wounded. And his words have great power to bring about that healing. So to drive the point home, what James does now is he gives three illustrations. I'm asking the question in James, what is the impact of my words? The first thing I want to show you is in chapter 3, verse 3, James writes, when we put into the bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. You're looking here. I think you're looking, almost looking. You'll be looking, soon looking. Looking at the picture of a horse. Good, it's there, yes, wonderful. This is a picture of a horse. It's a little girl, and she's weighing about 60 pounds, you know, maybe soaking wet. She gets on the back of the horse, and the horse does pretty much everything she tells the horse to do. How the little girl controls the horse is the bit in the mouth of the horse. You see, with the bit, the little girl can completely control the horse. The girl weighs 60 pounds. The horse weighs 800 pounds. The bit is small, the girl is small, the horse is big, but she's able to gain control over the horse by using the bit. You know anybody needs a bit in their mouth? I wonder if anybody's mouth needs some control. Debbie has a friend. Her friend has coarse language. She um, cusses. And she'll say, pardon my French. Or she'll say this word, I need to clean up my mouth. She'll be talking about her husband. She'll be talking about her kids. She'll be talking about some situation at school. And she'll begin to swear like a sailor. And then she'll say words like, I need to clean up my mouth. You ever heard the expression, your mouth is going to get you in trouble? We say that, right, to our kids, like, your mouth is going to get you in trouble. Someday you're going to mouth off to a teacher or to a principal or to a bus driver. They'll throw you off that bus. Mouth off to a police officer. Do you hear in our culture a greater or lesser frequency of the F-bomb? I wonder what comes out of our mouths. I wonder if we took my words, your words, and put them up on the screen for the last month. Who would be comfortable putting your words up on the screen? See, what James is saying is the tongue is a very small part of us. 
But with the tongue, we're able to control our speech, right? Just like the horse with the bit, the rider's able to control the movements of the horse because the bit controls the horse. Just in case we didn't get the point, (laughs) he draws a second illustration, verse 4. James chapter 3 and verse 4. He said, although the ships are so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder. Yes, thank you. You're looking at the picture of a super cruise, super carrier. This ship is over 1,000 feet long. It's about as long as the Empire State Building. It has F-14s, helicopters on board, a crew of 5,000. But underneath the ship is a very complex steering mechanism involving a rudder. The rudder is so very small in comparison to the ship, but with that computer system and GPS, the ship can be navigated. Just a very small control on a very large ship. Do you know, when the captain of the ship has his hand on the rudder, he can control the direction of that ship. When you have control over your tongue, you can control the direction with your words of what you're trying to say. Likewise, he says in verse 5, the, lo- the tongue is a very small part of the body, but it makes very great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. We hear warnings, don't we? We see pictures of you know, families out you know, camping together, toasting marshmallows, dry conditions. But it doesn't take much for a forest fire to happen. The dry underbrush is extremely flammable, and the fire quickly spreads. And before you know it, you know, communities are threatened. People are evacuated. Firefighters work against the fire, dropping chemicals on the fire, you know, spraying down the fire. He's saying that the power of the tongue to bring destruction is unbelievable. Speech, if controlled, can have a huge beneficial effect, but out of control can burn down the fire. Burn down the forest. When our kids were little, we used to sing a little song, and it went like this. Old Lady Leary took the lantern to the barn. The cow kicked it over, and I sang. One dark night when we were all alone, old lady Leary took the lantern to the barn, and when the cow kicked it over, he winked his eye and said, it's going to be a hot time in the old town tonight. You didn't know I could sing that, did you? I didn't sing it well. (laughs) The song is about Chicago in 1871. There really was a Mrs. O'Leary, and she really had a cow, and she really had a barn, and the cow really kicked it over, and it started a fire that burned 17,500 homes, buildings. Chicago was largely destroyed by a fire. Words are amazingly important. Think about this issue. How do we view babies 
in the womb. Do we see them as sacred, made in the very image of God? Or do we dehumanize them, saying you're just cells, right? The truth is the unborn are persons. They have a heartbeat, they have DNA, they have a blood type, they have brain waves, they can feel pain. But if we say that the unborn aren't people, then we can do anything with them we want to do. But if we say that the unborn are human beings, they deserve our protection and their mothers deserve our support. Be very careful with your words. It says here that the tongue is able to make many boasts. Do you hear anybody boasting with their tongue? If I am elected <laughs> on the first day of my administration, under my administration we will. So you hear in the political realm much boasting. How about in the sports realm? Do you hear any boasting there? You know, Larry Bird said once, the famous basketball player, when I'm on my game, not even Jesus Christ can stop me. We, um, we need to be careful with our words. Jesus taught us this principle in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will always speak. Isn't it amazing? Just think about this for a minute. You can always know what's in somebody's heart by what they're saying. And I can always know what's in my heart by what I am saying. What was Jesus talking about? Well, the Bible divides us into an outer part and inner part, right? Three parts, body, soul, and spirit, right? The inner part, the mind, the emotion, the soul, the spirit, the will, is your heart, right? The heart is used a thousand times in Scripture. So when the Bible uses the word heart, it's talking about the core of our personhood. The heart is our directional system. What Jesus is saying is that you can always tell someone's heart by what they say. <laughs> Have you ever heard somebody say something like, they didn't really, they, but they said it, like, I didn't mean to say that. We want to say, we want to get the word back, right? We want to pull the word back. We spoke the word, we want to pull it back. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. You know what a more accurate part is? Forgive me for saying what was in my heart. I'd actually know that was in my heart until it came out of my mouth. The tongue, the power of our words. My friend, this issue is anger and control. When things don't go his way, things just spew out of his mouth. His issue really is rage. Now, he could try to justify it, saying, I'm not an angry person. But his pattern is he blows up, he sees carnage all around him, he feels guilt and shame, he tries to apologize. He says, I don't know why I freaked out. Would you forgive me? I won't do that again. But then it builds up inside of him and it explodes all over again. You see, what's in his heart is anger. 
He's trying to be in control, and every time he speaks, his heart is talking. James said these things really should not be. He says in the ninth verse and following, with the tongue we have the power to praise, and with it also we have the power to curse men who've been made in God's image. More time for confession. When I drive, what I always try to do is I try to create a safe zone between me and the other's cars. I like space and boundaries and room. And so, when I see someone who um, dive bombs, you know, 90 miles an hour, or underdogs me from behind, or does something just dangerous, my typical response is, you idiot. You say, Pastor Art, you don't say, you idiot. Yes, I say, you say, you didn't mean to say, you idiot. No, I meant to tell you, you're an idiot. You're a moron. You see, what is in my heart is I really think this person is an idiot. So I've been looking at this verse all week. With the tongue, we get a chance to praise our Lord and Father, or we get to curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Six things I want to say to you. I want you to become self-aware. I want you to become aware of yourself. If you're paying attention to yourself, you know what's coming out of your mouth, right? When you know what's coming out of your mouth, you'll know more about what's in your heart. I want you to work at self-awareness. Secondly, I want you to admit you need help because we all need help in the area of the tongue. When you step into self-awareness, you will discover a disparity between your real self and the self you want to be. The second step toward taming the tongue is to say, God, I need help. I can't change on my own. The illumination is that God is showing you your heart My heart is angry and controlling. My heart is fearful and non-confrontational. My heart is harsh and abrasive. My heart is wounded and layered. God, I've made excuses. I've, (laughs) this is me now, I've blamed other drivers. If there weren't so many idiots on the road, I wouldn't get angry. But I'm responsible for me, right? I take ownership of me. God, would you change me from the inside out? I have failed so many times. But you have said, if we confess our sins one to another and pray for each other, we'll be healed. God, my heart needs to be healed. I try to be in control. I drive. I realize I'm not in control. So God, I surrender control to you. I relinquish control. I want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Some of you someday will sit in a circle and you'll say something like, Hi, my name is R. I have issues with anger. Please help me. Admit you need help. And third, pray about it. I wonder when the last time you prayed about your words was. 
When's the last time you took a real good look at what's inside your heart? The pride, arrogance, the anger, control, the fear? Now, I hope for you this matter of prayer, it's sort of a once-and-done thing, right? Like, Like, wow, I no longer call people on the road idiots, right? But I suspect it won't be once and done for you. You've had to live 10, 20, 30, 40 years with this old self. James is talking here about spiritual warfare. Second Corinthians says it like this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. When you get into the patterns of your speech, we're talking about spiritual strongholds there at the level of the heart. And God has the power to break those strongholds. To the degree that you memorize Scripture, you bury it into your hearts, you pull it out in situations, you pray in the Spirit, you ask people into your battle. Two military guys were telling me they had a verse they were working on Psalm 141, verse 3, it goes like this. Set a guard over my mouth. Keep a watch over the door of my lips. God, help me with the things I say. Fourth, don't excuse it. Don't Don't shrug your shoulders and say, there I go again. You have to man up, if you're a man, or woman up if you're a woman, and stop making excuses. A young man was in a college class. The professor asked him to write about his childhood. So the, son, the, 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 the student wrote about his dad, and one of the promises his dad had made to him he'd not kept, and he said, my dad is an idiot. And the professor wrote on his essay, and what will the son of an idiot do with the rest of his life? You have to stop making excuses. It's easy to excuse yourself. I'm from New England. All New Englanders cuss. It's easy to blame our parents. My parents cussed. But I'll tell you what's hard. Here's what's hard. To say, I shouldn't have said that. What I said was wrong. Will you forgive me? Now a word to you parents. Many of you moms get stressed out. You say stuff to your kids, you know, in anger, right? And here's something to say to your kids when you do that. Mommy is very sorry she yelled like that. Your kids already know you have anger issues. (laughs) They just aren't expecting you to be humble about it all. Don't excuse it. Number five, confess it and move on. Now, this (laughs) sounds a lot like admit you got an issue, but it's a little different. Resolution says, I'm not going to use those words again. Confession says, I shouldn't have used those words. If I can't confess it and move on, I'll get stuck in my failure. I'll start thinking I'll never change. Why even try? I can't even do it. I'm here to tell you something, okay? God can change you. God has changed me. It wasn't all at once, but the words out of my mouth are very different now 
You say, Pastor R, I have got so far to go. Hey, it's okay, right? But you're saying, I really want to change my words. So, let's say you work on a construction site. And the, <laughs> and the language you hear there is pretty rough, right? You're accustomed to people saying words like, what the blank, you know? But now you're a Christ follower, right? And you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You can make progress with your speech. Now, here's your prayer. God, give me self-control with my speech. Just say that to God. God, give me self-control with my speech. So tomorrow, right, you're on the job, and you have 30 slip-ups. Confess it to the Lord and move on. Here's what's going to happen. Two weeks from now, you may only have 20 slip-ups. That's making some progress, right? I mean, you've got to admit, right, that 20 slip-ups is better than 30 slip-ups, right? You're increasing in self-awareness, right? You, you know you're a man of unclean lips, like Isaiah confessed. You live among the people of unclean lips. So you go to a group and you say, I'm working on my mouth, right? Pray for me. And the group prays over you. And here's what's going to happen. That week, you're only going to cut six times. I mean, when the alarm goes off at 5 a.m., when you're dealing with traffic, you know, when, when you get cut off, you know, when the mower won't start. Here's, here's a little story for you. There was a, a guy, and he said to his dad, I need to sell my mower. And dad said, go ahead, sell the mower. So he puts his mower up for sale, and, you know, you know there's a tough time starting it, but he tries to sell his mower, and so along comes a pastor like myself. And he says, hey, do you want to buy the mower? And he says, yeah, how much do you want? And he said, well, he gave the price, and he said, uh, he said give it a pull. And he said, well, will, will the lower mower start? And he said, well, if you pull it enough times, it'll start. And the pastor said, well, you know, I haven't cussed in 20 years. He said, you pulled that string enough, you'll start to cuss again. What I'm trying to say to you is, now you're down to six times it's happening a day, right? It's only six times a day. You're making progress. Now, I think this is awesome. But what's going to happen, see, as you start getting more aware of language is you're going to start getting offended by stuff on TV. You're going to see stuff in movies. You're going to go like, oh, my goodness. You're going to hear coarse language at work, right? And you're only cussing now six times a day. And you continue on your journey, right? Here's what's going to happen. Maybe in the last six months, you've only said six cuss words. What I'm trying to say is, James is calling us to progress, not to perfection. God can help you with your words and with your heart if you let him. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth always speaks. And the fuller you are of God fuller you are of His Spirit, the more blessing comes out of your lips. And the last thing I'll say to you is this, seek accountability. I have found this to be true in my life. The more accountability I have, the better my life becomes. And if you want to make any change, you're going to have to have brothers, sisters standing with you. I've, I've actually seen people put rubber bands around their wrist and they snap it, you know, like, or they have like quarter jars and they throw a quarter in every time they say the wrong word, you know, or a dollar into the jar. But I'll tell you what works best. 
God has spoken to me, and He wants me to work on my speech. I'm going to ask you to help me and pray for me. And check in with me and see how I'm doing. That's what works best, to work in the area of community and the power of the Holy Spirit, putting the Word of God into your heart. Pray with me. Father, James really uh, holds holds nothing back from us. He pulls no um, surprise upon us, upon, upon the tongue and the power of our words. And so many here in this room have been impacted by someone's words, a parent's words or a brother or sister's words, a friend, a coach, a teacher, a boyfriend, girlfriend, a husband, a wife. We sit in silence before you, Lord, because your Holy Spirit wants to illumine to us the deep wounds. You're able to heal the brokenhearted. You're able to visit us to the place of our pain. You're able to pour oil and wine into those wounds and and heal us. We want to be a healing community where it's safe to admit about our own stories, our own journeys, and speak words of edification, words of encouragement to one another. I don't know how you want to impact us together. But Father, would you enable us this week as we walk with you to speak out of the heart words that bless and uplift and edify. God, would we see our life as an opportunity to exert influence, to bring light into dark places, to admit the truth about ourselves, to admit the truth of who you are, God, And for you, God, to receive the maximum amount of glory from our lives. Thank you for taking us from the miry clay. Thank you, God, for taking us where we were to where we are into what we will be. Can we help each other in that journey, Lord? Can we just come alongside and love each other in the journey? Father, we repent. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to change us. We confess to you, Lord, our own failures and shortcomings. We pray, Lord, for your power to be upon us, for you to change us, Lord, from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name.